0: Good morning. He is risen. That was actually pretty good. That's pretty good. Man, we got to get excited. When I was a, a young kid, the first time the Blue Jays, first and second time when they won the World Series, me and friends made signs. We ran out onto 32nd Street. <laughs> Honk your horns. Blue Jays won the World Series. We were excited. That's nothing into what we're talking about compared to what we're talking about today. Like the excitement that we should get, uh, the excitement that we should have. How often will we live through a day, an event that will change us, mark us, not the Blue Jays winning the world series, but like something that marks us before and after. And maybe it can be like uh, a, a new baby. There, before we had the baby, after we had the baby. Could be marriage, for sure. How many years have you been married? We mark our anniversaries, maybe before and after that, a death, or some, some huge event that's so life-changing. You think of uh, the rise of the internet, whenever we put that, maybe 2006 is a, is a huge date for that. Facebook started, Twitter started, uh, Google bought, YouTube, iPhone 2007, but it's like a day like after smartphones, before smartphones. It's, it's changing. We could talk COVID before and after COVID. We'll have a memory. What was life like before? What was life like after? But again, nothing in comparison. Again, if you, you just think it's 2023, because roughly 2023 years ago, Jesus Christ was born. That's how we mark all time is actually because of Jesus. And by thinking about Jesus, he was born to die. Dying on a cross, buried in a tomb, rose again from the grave. And I'm telling you, that first Sunday morning, there's no other event in human history in which we can look and like, if you know that's real, you know he has risen, it changes you for the rest of your life from that day on. And that's what we're we'll going to be talking about here this morning. That first Sunday morning, new life in the garden, no event is comparable Uh, Before going on, we're going to be in John chapter 20. If you want to turn there, John chapter 20. Before reading the scripture, I would like to again uh, seek the Lord in prayer. Oh God, what a joy it is to come before you to sing songs to your name, to greet one another, remind each other that you are risen and risen indeed. And I pray, Lord that you would take uh, my excitement, but you would give me clarity of speech. Uh, I pray you would speak to our hearts by your spirit, that those who know you, may we see it, it just in a clear light, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, those who don't, may they be drawn to you. May they see you as if for the first time. May they see the new life available to them that you brought forth in the garden on that first Sunday morning. I pray you bless this word that Jesus Christ would be glorified and honored through it. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you want to stand with me, traditionally we have our church, we stand for the reading of God's word out of reverence for it. we reading John 21 to 23. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She returned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. May God bless his word to our souls this morning. You can have a seat. I've titled this sermon, New Life in the Garden. Three points, the first two are fairly quick. I want you to see the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive is the second point. The third is new life is available through faith in him. That's where we're going. That's what we're going to be talking about. Looking at the first section, one to 10, seeing is believing. But believing with a question mark is seeing, believing. Going again to verse one. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. And who is Mary Magdalene? If you have read scripture, if you you don't know, in in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 8 verse 2, it's mentioned Mary Magdalene and she was a woman who was following Jesus. It says in Luke chapter 8 verse 2 that she had seven demons in her and Jesus cast them out of her and after that she followed Jesus. She was with a group of other women who were supporting Jesus financially and with him where he went. That's who Mary Magdalene was. She's the one who had seven demons cast out of her and was following Jesus. She was also in John's Gospel and other Gospels, she was at the foot of the cross as Jesus was crucified. Mary Magdalene was there. There there There's a few other uh, women as well, Jesus' mother. Not very many people, everyone scattered. They were so scared, but Mary Magdalene was at the foot of the cross wanting to follow her savior. So what was she doing there, that first thing early in the morning? Well, we can just I'm just going to bring your attention to Luke's gospel. He fills in some of those details. Luke 23, uh, 50, 55, it says, The woman who had come with him, with Jesus from Galilee, followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. This would be on Good Friday. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. In verse one, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. It seems like there's actually other women with Mary who are going to do this. Uh, John just kind of singles out Mary Magdalene wants to tell her story, but they're going to prepare Jesus' body for bur- burial. In John's gospel, it talks about Joseph of Arimathea and a guy named Nicodemus who took spices and and prepared and and uh, prepared Jesus' body already. Maybe they hadn't finished. Maybe uh, Mary and the others didn't know about that, but either way, that was her intention. She wanted to go and prepare Jesus' body for a pro- proper burial. So she went to the tomb while it was still dark. Again, look at verse one, and saw that the, stum- the tomb, the stone—sorry, saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And that word "saw" you're going to see come up. It's kind of like she just glanced. She just looked. It wasn't there. Maybe she kind of briefly looked in, but really didn't, and was like so worried and took off. So it, wasn't, it was just a quick glance at what she did. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and, and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, who actually is John, the writer of this gospel. He doesn't name himself in it. And, he sa- and she said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid them. So they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. They're like, was it maybe the Jewish leaders, the ones who said he wasn't the Messiah, maybe they took him, maybe it was the Roman soldiers, it doesn't say, but she's like someone, like the enemies, so they took him. And notice as she's saying that and says, we do not know where they have laid him. So there are other ladies with, with her or had seen it, maybe stayed beforehand, stay at the tomb as she left and told them. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they're going toward the tomb, both of them are running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first I just love that detail there in the gospel. Anyone who's competitive, I think that's what that detail is. The other disciple just beat him in a foot race. Interesting, the one who wrote this gospel highlights that. But they were were both running there, and John beat him there. But interesting, he records this. John gets there first, verse 5, and stopping, stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Again, that word saw is more like a kind of a brief look. Not really a studied glance, just looking in. He, he, see, like, he sees it, but he doesn't go in. But then you look at Peter, verse 6, then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there. And that word saw... Is actually uh, like focused, sustained attention. Like observing something, like really going in and taking it in. Where John just kind of maybe glanced, Peter went in and started studying the situation. What's going on here? And he saw the linen cloths lying there in verse 7, and the faith cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Why is that important? If there were grave robbers or anyone who had come in there... They they wouldn't just fold things up so neat and tidy. They wouldn't put it in an orderly fashion, but the most important thing is it's not what they saw, it's what they didn't see. They didn't see Jesus, right? As they're looking at all the details, Jesus is not there. Verse 8 and 9, then the other disciple, again John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. It's interesting that it says that right after. He saw and believed. But as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Believe is a major theme in John's gospel. If you went through the gospel of John and circled or underlined every time you saw the word believe, you would have a very. Uh, very crowded pages (laughs) because over and over again talks about people believing and John's uh, use of belief is not like a one-time deal it's like a belief that you keep building on and keep strengthening and so even this belief John goes in he sees like Jesus isn't there he believes but he doesn't really still understand at this point they didn't have a full grasp of what was supposed to happen John mentions this In John 12, verse 16, as Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey fulfilling scripture, John records in John 12, 16, his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. So they didn't understand until later. But so John, he sees and believes, strengthening his faith, but still like really uncertain, actually, of what is happening, right? They were not expecting Jesus to rise, even though he had told them repeatedly he would. Mary Magdalene was not expecting that. She was expecting to find the body and to prepare it for burial. And so interesting, what does it say in verse 10? Then the disciples went back to their homes. Other kind of gospels, like they they kind of leave in bewilderment, kind of like in awe. Like what is happening? He's not there, like puzzled. Excited, but really actually not understanding at all what is happening. But the big thing I want you to see here, there was no body in the tomb. More than what they saw, again, it's about what they didn't see. They did not see the body of Jesus Christ, the tomb was empty. Continuing on, verses 11 to 18, I want you to see the first witness of the risen Lord. Verse 11. We don't know if uh, Mary had maybe come with them, ran back again, who had come after, or maybe came as they were in there, but she's still here. John's gospel continues, verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. Again, that's that, that looking, like really taking in a long observation before she just glanced. Now she's going in. Now she's like, what is going on? She wants to know more. And as she saw two angels in white, and she saw two angels in white sitting there, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. Uh, Commentator Colin Cruz writes, the presence of angels at the tomb testifies to the fact that the disappearance of Jesus' body has been caused by divine, not human intervention. And interesting, another commentator just notes that there's this is the only place in John's gospel where he mentions angels. Just at this point, talking to Mary. And I love, I love this what they say. Verse 13 they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Like she's broken, she's distraught. Looking for her Lord. She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Like, just see that she's so concerned about anointing Jesus' body for burial, the angels don't seem to frighten her. Right? In Matthew's gospel, angels appear, or an angel appears to roll back the stone. These Roman soldiers are guarding Jesus' grave, and when they see the angels come, it says they're like men who are basically dead. Like, they're so frightened. Mary is so concerned about Jesus... She's like, where is he? They're like, why are you weeping? Like, where's Jesus? It doesn't even seem like she's frightened. She's so focused. She wants to find her Lord and Savior and make sure he gets a proper burial. Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Did you read what I just read? She turned around and she saw Jesus standing there. And I know any length of time in the church, you're like, yeah, okay, that's what the next verse says. But if you're here, if we celebrate Good Friday, we know Jesus is beaten, mocked, nailed to a Roman cross, then laid in a grave. Now on the first, now he's, he's standing there. Jesus is standing there. Like, that should grab our attention. I know we're, we're familiar with the story, but how amazing it is knowing that Jesus is standing there. He has risen again. She didn't know it was Jesus. Why didn't she know it was Jesus? Why didn't she see, what, like, a number of different thoughts? She had so many tears in her eyes. Maybe she couldn't see so clearly. when she wasn't looking for the risen Jesus. She was looking for him who was laid in the tomb. She was looking for someone who is dead. She was not looking for the living among the dead. She was looking for the dead. So she wasn't maybe even ready to grasp that. And then in, in Luke's gospel, as Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus, one of the counts, walks on the road to Emmaus. He's with these two guys, but says their eyes are kept shut. They can't see Jesus for who he is. Maybe that's happening. Maybe at this moment, Mary's just not able to see that this is Jesus in front of her. But I love Jesus asked her the question. Do you think everyone's asking her this question? In verse 15, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And I, I love he asked that question when the answer is him. But he asked the question anyway, supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. That's how determined she was. Just, just show me where she is. I will, I'll take him. I'll carry him. But she thinks he is a gardener. Again, just pointed out Jesus was buried in a garden tomb. And so this is just like, hey, I see a worker here. You must be the one who cares for this place. But then we have Verse 16. And Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, maybe it was the tone in which he said, Mary, you know, John 10, 3 speaks of the, Jesus speaks of being the good shepherd and he says, the sheep hear his voice, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Maybe all of a sudden her ears were open, her eyes were open. And she saw, no, this is Jesus. This is my Lord. And calling him Rabboni, John MacArthur notes, it's a strength form of rabbi, Aramaic. and was used as a title to express great honor and supreme reverence. But think about this. For Mary, she saw him, and then she saw him. Right? She saw him. Are you, like, are you the gardener? And then she saw him, Rabboni. Teacher, great reverence. I just want you to think about this for a second. For many of us, for some here, for all of us, at one point maybe you you saw Jesus, you heard about Jesus, you heard stories about Jesus, you've heard the teachings of Jesus, it's good to, better to give than it is to receive. The golden rule. You heard a, a few things. Maybe at Christmas time, like okay, or we celebrate, there's these songs sung, about this guy who came, Jesus. Like, you see, you see Jesus. And then for any of us who are Christians, then your eyes are opened and you see Jesus. Right, there's a difference. You see Jesus, then you see Jesus. And I pray anyone here whose eyes are not open that this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit you would see Jesus as the Lord and Savior, the one who died on the cross for our sins, buried, rose again from the grave, is seated at the right hand of the Father. May we see Jesus. Mary, Mary's eyes were open. Verse 17, and and then Jesus says to her, do not cling to me, (laughs) I just love it because Mary, you know, she, she just probably wrapped her arms around like just overjoyed. And I don't think it was a mean thing. It was like, hey, you know, don't, don't cling to me. I'm sure it was like with such smiling and such gentleness. But why? Because Jesus still, he still had work to do. He says, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. I have not ascended to my Father throughout John's Gospel, John 13, 1, 3, other places. He's like, yeah, the time has come for me to be glorified, Then I'm going to my Father. I'm going to return to my Father. That's where I'm going to go. Talks about ascension. That's when Jesus, after 40 days, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, went into heaven. The time is coming. He's like, I haven't done that yet. That's what I need to do. But go to my brothers. I love that. Go to my brothers. And say to them, I'm ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and your God. This just intimate connection. Believers brought into the family of God. Not the disciples, go to my brothers. And just, just think about this, friends. So in verse 18, then Mary Magdalene went and announced to, this, to, to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Again, I just want to note, who was the first eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus? It was Mary Magdalene. It was a woman. And why am I highlighting it's a woman? Because it's so significant to the truth of the story. Because in their times, in the first century, a, a, a male slave would actually have more trustworthiness in terms of the things that would come out of his mouth than a woman just in the society that they lived in. Like it would make no sense if you made up a story and you wanted people to believe it by no way, shape, or form. would The first eyewitness is a woman. No one's going to believe that unless that's how it actually happened. I'm telling you, it's, it's such a strong proof for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's hard for us to grasp in the 21st century but again, who, who was it that saw not only a woman? Mary Magdalene, the one who had seven demons possessing her, was given freedom from that. And in her freedom, she's like, I'm following Jesus wherever he goes. I'm supporting him. Such an extent that she's at the foot of the cross as he's nailed to it. She's there. She's going to the tomb early in the morning, wanting to prepare a proper burial, burial for her, for him, sorry. In her devotion, she is blessed with the first sighting of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And then she's also, she's the first evangelist. Evangelist means like the one who shared good news. She's the first one to say, he has risen. She's the first one to see, the first one to proclaim. That blessing is hers. But again, I just want you to see this Mary Magdalene, changed by the enemy, by the devil. Freedom in Christ. The picture of what Jesus can do in anyone's life. I love it. But as she went to the disciples, verse 18, we we see in other gospels, it seems the disciples actually did not believe her. They weren't expecting it. They didn't think Jesus was going to rise. They didn't get it. They're like, what? What are you talking about? But again, I want you to see two things at this point. One, the tomb was empty. And secondly, Mary Magdalene was the first to see the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to see actually this pattern. She saw, then she proclaimed. She saw the risen Lord Jesus, then she proclaimed, he is risen. Now going on in in verses 19 to 23, I want us to see new life is given, is given to share. New life is given, given to share. Verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Now the, the doors are locked like they're scared or they're closed. One, they just saw their, their master, their king crucified. And they're like, I, we're his We're his followers. So they were scared. They had the door closed. Also, if, you, if they heard these rumors like the body's not there anymore, who would the authorities think took the body first? Well, his followers. So they were actually quite scared, legitimately scared. And I love that. But then Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. It seems to show in his glorified state the walls did not uh, keep him from coming in. And this, this, this. This message that he gives them, peace be with you. It was a literal message because they were actually scared. It was also a message, peace be with you, because seeing the risen Lord Jesus Christ, they are scared. Is this a ghost? Like, what are we seeing? No, no, have peace. It's also like a message because they had all deserted Jesus. They had all left. They had all scattered. He's like, no, peace be with you. I, I was reading a commentary. MacArthur mentioned how, how fitting it is that Jesus on the cross, we looked at Friday. He says, "It is finished, the sacrifice for sins. It's paid. It's over. It is finished." And then the next thing he says to his disciples, "Peace be with you." And he can say, "Peace be with you," because it is finished. What happened on the cross? And there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. There's peace. So he greets them, "Peace be with you." Verse twenty. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. They needed further proof. In in another, I think Luke's gospel, like they wanted to touch, to see. They were still just shocked in disbelief, but he shows them proof. And then what does it say about them? Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Other translations, they were overjoyed, they rejoiced. Jesus actually told them this would happen in John sixteen twenty to 22. Jesus says this, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. That's what's happening. Now they're seeing Jesus. Now they're filled with joy. They're rejoicing. They're still really confused at what is going on. In verse 21, we see this commission from Jesus. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Again, notice the pattern. They saw Jesus, and they were sent to tell others about Jesus. Their commission, their calling is spelled out in the next two verses. Verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. There's a a lot of ink has been spilled on this verse and the next one. Uh, I think D.A. Carson's helpful here. He notes that in the original Greek, it does not say he breathed on them. On them is not in the Greek. It's like he breathed, he exhaled, received the Holy Spirit. And I'm just gonna, people think, okay, Jesus gave the disciples the Holy Spirit here. I don't think that's what happened. Let me tell you why. Because in, in Acts chapter two, at Pentecost, that's when the Holy Spirit comes on Everyone, Every believer has the Holy Spirit from there on out. In Acts chapter 2, it's like the coming of the Holy Spirit really marked the, the change between Old Testament believer and New Testament believer. in Jesus, as he's uh, risen from the grave, there's kind of this gray area, this overlapping. But you think in the Old Testament, anyone who had the Spirit of God, he'd come on some people at certain times for certain things. He wasn't on all people. In Acts chapter 2, New Testament, the Spirit comes on all believers. They're sealed with the Holy Spirit and have him the rest of their days. So if you think of like if Jesus gave them the Holy Spirit, what would be the results of that after? Well, if we would keep reading, we find Thomas wasn't there. And when we find the meeting, their doors are still locked. They're still scared. Which doesn't happen in Acts chapter 2, they're giving great boldness and courage as the Holy Spirit comes upon them. In John chapter 20, uh, 21, they go fishing. If they were just given the Holy Spirit, which helps in terms of uh, proclaiming the gospel and letting people know who Jesus was, they wouldn't just be going fishing. When we see the Spirit come in Acts chapter 2, it changes everything. So what I do think is happening I think it's symbolic of what's to come. It's it's also, we see in the next verse, prescribing the ministry to come as sent ones. Like the Spirit is coming. You will be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what you will do. In verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they are are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it, it is withheld. Just think about, they were to forgive sins? Like, are are we to forgive sins? I don't think that's really what's being said. Colin Cruz, the commentator, was helpful here. The way in which the disciples forgive sins and retain sins is by preaching the good news and declaring the effects of believing it, forgiveness, and rejecting it, no forgiveness. It's important to notice the passive voice used in the statements in this verse regarding forgiveness, non-forgiveness of sins. They function as divine passives, reminding us that God alone forgives sins. Jesus' disciples declare what God does. A good example of this is actually John 3.16, a few verses after. We all know John 3.16, or most of us, quite well. As in, like, you hear this good news, do you believe? And if you believe, your sins are forgiven, If you do not believe, your sins are not forgiven. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Believe in Jesus. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Verse 18, though, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. So every time that this message of Jesus Christ is proclaimed, there's this opportunity. Believe and your sins are forgiven. But if you don't believe, if you reject it, you you are in your sins. You need to stand before a holy God one day. Bring into account and what are you going to do? So how people respond to the gospel message will dictate, of course, whether or not their sins are forgiven. Going back to verse 21, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. So they're being sent out for this mission. What was the mission they were being sent out to do? Was it just maybe take selfies with Jesus and post it on social media, right, if, if Facebook was around? Maybe develop a social club with secret handshakes, Right? Like, maybe that's what he's sending them out. I'm very sarcastic when I'm saying that. I'm getting puzzled looks. I'm not serious there. Were they maybe supposed to build a ministry, focus on themselves, and make lots of money? Is that what he was sending them out to do? Maybe, like, the ones who were with Jesus maybe write a, a, a biography, tell people about the amazing things that they saw. No, a number of disciples, they write the Gospels telling about Jesus' life, John doesn't even have his name in it. It was all about Jesus. They were sent to proclaim Jesus. I want you to see this. They were to proclaim the good news. Jesus rose again from the grave. They were to tell as many as they could while they could. Just an example of this, the book of Acts. Acts chapter 10, looking at verse 37 to 43 Just one example, when they're filled with the Spirit, sent out, what was their message? This is Peter. You yourselves know, Acts chapter 10, verse 37 and on, you yourselves know that what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with them. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That was their message over and over again. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, repentance and forgiveness of sins, going around proclaiming it. Friends, I just want to remind you just very briefly, think about the results of this new life in Christ for all who would believe. I've said it a number of times, forgiveness of sins. Our sin's paid for on the cross. That is is amazing. That's fantastic. Another thing is the curse of sin in our lives is broken. I'm just going to give you a few examples. Romans 6, 9 to 12, it says this. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Jesus defeated sin, he defeated death on the cross. So you must also, verse 11, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. The new life in Christ means like just that, that having to do whatever you want, your sinful nature, kind of bound by chains, it's broken. You can do something different. You can walk in a different way. New life in Christ. I remember when I first became a believer, before I was a believer, I was an alcoholic. My friends called me. I had to come drink. I could not say no. But then I became a believer. They're like, hey, do you want to come party? you want to come drink? And I'm like, no. What? I surprised myself. The spirit in me, I didn't realize the chains had been broken. I could start to say no. I could start to choose a different way. The curse of sin is broken. We can live differently. Of course, we talk about death to life. We're spiritually dead, but in Christ, we are given life to love the things that God loves. We are given a new kingdom in Christ. Colossians 1, 13 to 14 says this. It says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Think about If that seems like odd to you, think of Mary Magdalene. Bound with seven demons. Jesus casts them out. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, that's, what, that's what's happening. The new life in the garden in Jesus Christ. People are like, I'm no longer going to serve the devil. Now I can serve God. How amazing is that? And then there's, there's joy unspeakable. Just thinking of 1 Peter 1, 8 to 9. Peter writes this, though you have not seen him, talking about Jesus, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory, obtain the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I love that. Though you haven't seen him, you love him. I don't know, you come to faith in Christ, you experience this new life in Christ, you got a song to sing, right? Like you're just, there's joy that's just bubbling over in you. How fantastic is that? I love that Peter points out, if you have not seen him, you love him. Because I just want to show you in John's gospel. Because remember, Thomas wasn't there. Going back to John 20, Thomas wasn't there. And he says, if I don't see Jesus, if I don't touch him, I'm not believing. You know, one thing, and he gets to the nickname Doubting Thomas. One, one thing. And then Jesus appears to him and shows him his hands and his side. And Jesus says, now, or, John, or Thomas says, now I believe. My Lord, my God. John 20, verse 28, Jesus says this, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. that would be everyone in this room. And if you're, if you're here and if you're hearing this and you have not believed in Jesus, man, trust in him, believe in him, surrender your life to him. May the spirit give you eyes to see Jesus as if for the first time and say, yes, I wanna follow him. It would just t- take... Lord, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for what I have done. I want to turn. I want to walk in your ways. I'm believing, Jesus. What you did on the cross pays for my sins. Will you believe? This is the reason this, this gospel was written. John 20 Verse 31, these were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's what's available on the first Sunday morning as he rises again, new life in Christ. New life now and the promise of eternal life to come. I just want to think about this for a moment. In finishing, the resurrection means new life has come. I want you to see this. Where did Mary Magdalene see Jesus again? She saw him in a garden tomb. She mistook him for a gardener. I've been kind of talking about this in these messages, just big picture. Think about this for a second. In the beginning, God created everything so good, so very good. Adam and Eve were in a garden. And they sinned, and one act of disobedience against God causes sin and brokenness to enter into the world. Brokenness entered in through a garden. And to sum up the Old Testament, God preserved a people for himself to send him from Abraham to bring about the Messiah, Jesus, that he would be born, live a perfect life, die on the cross, pay for sin, be buried in the tomb. He buried in a, in a garden tomb. So on the first day of the week when he rose again, he, he was rising again from a garden. How amazing is that? To deal with the effects of the curse, the effects of sin and brokenness. I want us, I want us to see how amazing that is. But then you think also with what is to come. In, in Revelation 22, 1-5, and talking about the new heavens and a new earth, there's a river that runs through the city of God and there's trees on either side. And they always produce this fruit and from their leaves is for the healing of the nations. So in this city, it's like a garden city, the place of the redeemed. Like that's where we're going. That's where we're anticipating. One day we'll get there. Why is that? Well, Because on that first Sunday morning, he rose again from the grave. And everyone who believes in him has that anticipation of which is to come. One day we'll be with him, see him face to face. No more death, no more suffering, no more pain. But we know we're not there yet. We're not there yet. But his resurrection, he was the first, but many more to come. Almost like we're experiencing here with spring. Right, the warm weather comes in, maybe the first flower to come out of the ground but there's still snow scattered about but it's a sign that something better is coming that the seasons are changing but we know in, in Christ there's that new life available to us but we're awaiting his second coming when he returns will he'll make all things right for all of those in Christ We have this new life in us, changing us, but yet we still live in this broken world, still in our broken bodies. But now we're living for something better to come, just like the hope that we have at the beginning of spring. Friends, whatever will come in the near future, election, economy, health, Life, death, no day will compare to that first Sunday morning. Nothing will compare to the greatness and weight of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. If you have that new life in Christ, have great joy. I want to just show you again verse 21. What did he say to his disciples? Peace be with you as the Father has sent me. Even so, I am sending you. As he sent out his disciples, he sends us out, every believer, to proclaim there's new life available in Christ. He rose again in the garden. New life is available for all who would believe in Jesus Christ. So, friends, that's what we take. We take the joy of this day, but then tell all you can while you can. There's new life in the garden. Believe in Jesus Christ and find that life in him. Will you bow with me? I'll close this. This word and prayer. Oh Lord, I pray you'd press deep into our hearts and to our souls the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, those who maybe have heard, who are doubting, God, point them to your truth. Allow them to see. Give them eyes to see. Lord, for each one of us, I pray we would Just be overflowing with joy. Lord, not these temporal things of this world that come and go, but this lasting joy found in the risen sun. Oh, Lord, help us to walk in it. Even today, we had a family dinner. Help us to proclaim that you are risen. Help us to be witnesses, to tell others how amazing this is. Oh, Lord, continue to grab hold of our hearts.